you know, as uh, as Alan was praying, it, it it suddenly dawned on me my own story that when that when I was born, I was actually born dead on the table. Um, I wasn't breathing. I was blue, and the the doctors, you know, by grace, didn't give up on me, and they revived me. And my mother was told he might have problems. And I'm grateful she chose life. So, um, Alan, thank you. Um, if you have a Bible, turn to John chapter 2. And I, I know what you're thinking. It's almost 10 after 11. Austin's preaching and I forgot a snack. <laughs> I'll be brief, I promise. John chapter verse 23 to 25 now when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast many believed in his name observing his signs which he was doing but Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them for he knew all men and because he did not need anyone to testify concerning man for he himself knew what was in man let's pray Father God, so our hearts are tender, open, open the veil, Father, let us see and magnify, let us see Jesus and marvel at his love for us in spite of our sin, in spite of humanity's sin, and Father, may we, may we don the task of loving others as he has loved us. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. So as we've been through and up to John chapter 7, and and particularly at that point where Jesus opens more up of his mission and who he is and what he's come to do, and the result is that many fall away. Many no longer follow him. Um, I, I thought it would be good to come back to John chapter 2 and look at a, a, a little, s- these sections of verses and really feel the weight of Jesus' love for us. Um, because I think uh, oftentimes we read these verses and they're almost, we almost feel like they're just this footnote. When in reality, they're, they're, a, they're a darkened gate to a beautiful garden of grace. Because the narratives that follow just display Christ's love for us in spite of our darkness, okay? And so I, I think that's fitting for us to come back and, and look at this. Um, and so that's where I want to go this morning because, r- again, I- in John chapter 7, um, in John chapter 7, Jesus, he's, he's telling people about himself. This is who I am. And they're, they're falling away. I mean, you think of any human world leader you know, of any organization, any political leader going out and essentially campaigning and he's telling people about who he is and what he's come to do and all of a sudden, you know, people are like, well, wait a minute, what? Like, no, 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 this is my platform. This is what I'm operating off. This is, this is my vision. This is the flag that I'm hoisting. And they're like, oh, we don't want that. And all of a sudden, everybody leaves. That would devastate. I mean, that would devastate almost any leader. Go, well, wait, 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 come back. But Jesus is not surprised. In fact, he turns to his disciples and he says, things are going to get worse. 
one of you is going to betray me. And I'm telling you this now so you don't lose hope later. And so we see Jesus in his omniscience in the midst of, of just this pivotal point when with anybody else it would just co- totally cut you know, their, their momentum. And Jesus isn't deterred from it. So like I said, I want to come back to these verses and I want to do two things. One, I want us to just compare, just briefly compare Jesus' response to knowing the depths of the depravity of man and then our response when that, when that comes into our picture. I want us to marvel at Christ's love for us because I think so often it's so easy for us to just take that for granted. I mean, I don't know about you, but in the course of from Sunday afternoon even to just like Monday about midday, I mean, Alan preaches a message. I'm very encouraged. I'm very encouraged. I'm strengthened. Monday about noon, I mean, I'm struggling. I'm I'm trying to remember. I'm trying to, Lord, bring the gospel back into clarity because I'm starting to... I'm, I'm starting to slip away from this. Starting to be pulled and tossed about by winds and waves. So I want us to be reminded of Christ's love for us. Just in this aspect of his omniscience. And then also I want to challenge us to love others in the same way. Okay? So that's where I'm going this morning. Alright, so John opens the door right here. This is this gate that he frames out. And it's a dark gate. It's a little, it's, it's, it's a bit scary. It's a bit ominous. Because Jesus, uh, John tells us, he says he's in Jerusalem. He's at the time of the Passover. He's just performed this, mirac- the, this miracle in Cana. He's performed other miracles. He's in the temple. He clears the temple. And people are believing in him, but they're not believing in really who he is. He's a miracle worker. He's, you know, a possible prophet. They see something attractive about him, and they're following him. But John, he writes this to frame out everything that comes next to highlight Christ's divinity. says that Jesus knows what's in man and he's not entrusting himself to man these verses point back to a lot lot of old testament verses that talk about the omniscience of god that that god's eyes in in second chronicle writes that god's eyes go to and fro across the earth looking to strongly support the hearts of those who are his that David writes and he says, Lord, before I was formed in, in my mother's womb, you knew me. He says, Lord, search me out, try me, see, is there any wicked way within me? Lord, the eyes, your eyes, look in my heart and see, what's, is there any wickedness in, he, in me? Before there's a th- word on my tongues, you know it. The omniscience of, Lord, uh, uh, the omnis- omniscience of God is personal. It's specific. And we see that with Jesus here. That he sees the fickle depravity of man, not in just some general knowledge sense, but in a specific individual sense. He's looking out and the people that he meets and that he sees, he sees into their hearts. He sees into their hearts. It's not like if you know if you know the old classic, uh, Billy Budd, Herman Melville's book, Billy Budd, and Billy Budd is sort of this—he's this innocent character who, you know, in in some some sense, is a Christ-like figure, you no, know, who finds himself standing with the master at arms, John Claggart, before the captain of the ship, and he's being charged with mutiny, and then Billy's kind of like, what? What's going? I mean, he's. He sort of is a loss. There's this innocence that's there about him, and he has a stutter. He doesn't know what to say. No, and it's kind of like he's, he's a man trapped by his own circumstances, and you sort of feel sorry for him. And I, th- I think in, in some 
circles in Christianity, and there's a temptation for us too, we sort of see Jesus, and there's that temptation to see him as this innocent man who, man, he's just a victim of his circumstances, and we pity him. But in reality, John guards against that right here, and he says, no, 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 Jesus knows the heart of man. He knows it, not in a general sense, but in a specific sense. And we see this as, 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 we, as we've gone through and we've preached through the chapters that have followed, leading all the way up to chapter 7, that Jesus speaks to people very specifically, knowing what's in their heart. Even in chapter 7, as, as Alan preached last week, and we'll revisit this in two weeks, no, Jesus comes to, to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders, and he says, he says you want to kill me. Now, then you get the sense that they've not really shared this with anybody. This is kind of going on in the dark circles behind the, clo- the closed doors. The general Jewish public doesn't really know it. And, the, and the, the religious leaders respond, oh, he's got a demon. Nobody's saying this about you. But Jesus knows this is really what's going on. He knows their hearts specifically. He speaks to the woman at the well specifically. He knows her sin. He knows it. And so Jesus knows these things and says he's not entrusting himself to man. Now, we'll get to that aspect in a minute, but I want to pause right here, and I just want to ask, wh- how does Jesus respond in his omniscience to, uh, to, to that? Because I don't know about you, but th- there's a common grace of the Lord that we don't see each other's sins. And specifically, we don't see the, our, uh, the, the, the heart motive behind a lot of the things that we do, right? We're, we're, igni- we're ignorant about what's going on in each other's hearts. That we, that we have the posture that, that we think people are better than they actually are, right? I mean, I, I don't know about you, but I really don't want, I'll be honest with you as your pastor, I really don't want the thoughts and the struggles of my heart to go across this screen. I, I really don't, and I think if I'm, if I'm, you know, if we're honest, you don't really want that either. I'd, I'd be ashamed of that. No, and that's this side of the cross, knowing my need for grace. But you don't know those things, but Christ knows those. He, he sees those. You know, but here's what happens. We look at other people oftentimes with, a, with kind of a, 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 through a glossy lens, there's a, there's a trustingness that we have with people based off how they present themselves to us. And then all of a sudden, sin sort of steps in in a moment and it shocks us. Whether that's a news report or something that happens just down the street from us and we're, we're surprised. I didn't know I lived in that type of neighborhood. I didn't, I didn't know that that was possible of someone. There's an ignorance that goes on there that we don't really believe that people are as bad as they are. Now to be sure, we're not as bad as we could be but we're as bad off as we could be. I said that in a, in a sermon uh, weeks ago, and I just want to clarify that, that we're not as bad as we could be. That our sin nature doesn't come out and live outside of our body because of a lot of common grace, whether that's I just don't want, you know, I feel shame, or I don't want the consequences of it. It's not based off right motives, but it's based off a motive. We're not as bad as we could be, but we're as bad off as we could be. That our sin nature doesn't desire to glorify and honor God. It desires to glorify and honor ourselves. But when another sin is exposed, what is our response to it? Here's the thing. Uh, this is what I want to show. Jesus in his omniscience knows 
specific individual sins no sin nature better than we know it ourselves. He knew it in his time when he stepped into history. He saw it. He saw it and he responded significantly different than we would because what happens when sin is exposed in someone else around us? What do we do? How do we respond? Don't we put up walls? Go, well, this person's not trustworthy. Let's keep them at a distance. Someone I thought was a close confidant and a friend is now a viper. And that's, that's dangerous. Don't want that. So we put up walls. We, we, we erect. We dig a moat. You can't cross here. No trespassing. You're not welcome. You're toxic to me. Right? This is what we do, right? When sin all of a sudden steps into reality and we, we see that. And I know many of your stories, you've been hurt in just, a, just such a sense. What happens? We put defenses up. No, we kind of get caught in the fog of things. And me, people may give us advice and we get this and we get that advice and we, all of a sudden we look out on the world with a different perspective. One day we're very trusting of people. Everything's good. The s- sun is shining. And then all of a sudden everything's dark. We look at people suspiciously. What, I mean, what changed? All of a sudden sin stepped out from somebody's life and it surprised us. But, you know, but it didn't surprise Jesus. It didn't surprise Christ. You see, knowledge makes the difference there for us. You know, if we, when we're on that side of that battle or that struggle, you know, and we think, you know, if I'd only known at the time, things would be different. Or, or if I could see right now what's going on in this person's heart, things would be different. Knowledge makes a big difference. Let me give you two, challenge you with two examples. Has there been a time in your own life when someone's sin changed your life significantly? It surprised you. You didn't see it coming. And as a result, you became very much more guarded. You perhaps maybe were very welcoming of people, very, very trusting. And all of a sudden, an event happened and you got what we call street smarts with relationships. You became very, very guarded. Kept people at a distance. Became less trusting. For those of you that remember, did you, did you look at the world differently after the events of 9-11? I was in my freshman year in college in a chemistry class. I was actually going from chemistry class to uh, a marine biology class. I walked into the door and all the students are outside in the hall crowding around TVs that were never really on. And they were on and I'm like, what's going on? And, and I had friends at that school because the school had a unique mix of people from across the United States because of the, the degrees that it offered, who they had friends and they had family who were either in that building or somehow were connected. And in the weeks that followed, I had lots of conversations with people. I'm, I mean, I, I, was a, I was a teenage kid from a small town in Georgia, you know. I mean, this, this really opened my eyes. And I, and I was like, okay, Wow. No, I, I postured myself differently after that, just kind of towards the world in general. It was a big eye-opener for me. Okay? So the, the point there is, I, I think generally, when sin steps into the picture in, in, our, in our lives from someone else, our natural response is to put up defenses, to become guarded, to step back and distance ourselves. Now, here's what Christ did. Christ doesn't do that. 
in the chapters that follow, Christ welcomes. He says, I know your sin, woman at the well. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. He says, come to me, you who hunger and thirst. He doesn't say condemned. Stay back. No trespassing. He says, come. He says, come, come to me. I know your sin. Does that not give you encouragement? No sin that's going to come out in you or sin that's going to come out in somebody in your family or your friends is going to surprise Jesus. He knows it before it even comes to light. And yet he says, no condemnation. He has compassion on us. He moves towards us. I, in light of what Alan said, let me just add this to it as a, as a way of just a tender sap. I don't know a lot of your stories. Maybe some of you had an abortion. Maybe, maybe, you're, maybe you're a man who's connected with an abortion some way. Maybe that's part of your story. That if your eyes are opened to the horrific aspect of that and, and it burdens you, it doesn't surprise Christ. He doesn't come to you and go condemned. He says no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Doesn't surprise him. Your sins washed clean through his shed of blood on the cross. That's good news. That's good news. That's good news for people that we talk to. If you talk to somebody and they say, I'm burdened by this. this I had an abortion when I was 18. I can't get over it. I don't want to talk to someone about it. I'm ashamed of it. Or maybe I'm, I'm tempted to flaunt it. Jesus looks and says, you weren't an inconvenience to me. I died on the cross for you. And I knew all about you when I was doing it. I don't look back on that and say, you know, I regret dying on the cross because I didn't really realize how bad the world was. No, no, no. I know how bad the world was and I know far more than what you see. And yet I still walked up that hill. Still willingly hung upon that cross. He looks out upon us as a sh and sees us as sheep without a shepherd. Now even though we may be wolves towards one another, we pose no threat to Christ's throne. So let me ask this. Why does Jesus not entrust himself to people? If we don't pose a threat to Christ's throne, I mean he's God incarnate. He made the whole world. You know, he breathed life into existence. And we, we, we as People, we don't pose a threat to Christ's throne. So why does he not entrust the full mission of what he's coming to do to people? Why didn't he just come in and say, I'm, I'm God. Bring it on. Why doesn't he do that? I think it's a testimony to the fact that we wouldn't come to him on our own. If we wanted him, if humanity wanted him and he stepped into the pages of history, he would have said, your king's here. And we would have said, hey, praise the Lord. Let's, let's go. But he doesn't. He veils himself. Not in cruelty, but to show us our need for him. See, Christ must expose our sin nature through the cross. He says, I've got to go there so you'll see your need for me. Otherwise, you won't come to me. That's why he doesn't entrust his full mission. It's because we wouldn't come to him unless he, sho he showed us our need for him.
So I hope you see and marvel at Christ's love for you in his omniscience. It doesn't surprise him, and yet he still went to the cross. Still loved you enough to die for your sins. Still loved those you love and those you come in contact with enough to die for their sins. So here's the challenge. Marveling marveling's one thing. It stirs our hearts, but then Christ gives a challenge. He spoke in the upper room with his disciples before his death, before their world's about to be rocked, by the way, by, by the sin of humanity in general. Christ is about to die on the cross. And Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. In the same way that I've loved you, knowing your sinfulness, seeing it before it even puts on clothes and gets out of bed in the morning, I'm loving you this way. You love one another this same way. That means that when sin comes out in a person, we still love them. Whether that's a spouse, whether that's a child, one of our own children or someone else's children, whether that's a coworker, we don't put up the gates and go, well, you're toxic to me. No, 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 I don't want your mess on me. And so you stay over there. He says, you love one another as I have loved you. Even when that sin comes out. Even when you see it. So let me give you just a couple challenges and then we'll close. This is what I'm, go- I'm, th- I'm thinking through. What does that mean? Love others as Christ has loved us. How do we do that? How do, you, how do you love someone with gospel intentions when you look at them and you're not sure you can trust them? When you, when you look out upon suspicion or, or things are coming out and you're surprised and you're like, well, what do I do with this? How do we love them with gospel intentions? One, pursue the holy good of others even when their sin surprises you. There's that temptation. That temptation is present. Circle the wagons. Guard whatever's here. And keep, keep this at a distance because it's threatening. But Christ calls us to come and die and trust Him. Pursue the holy good of others even when that sin, their sin surprises you. Because the challenge in that moment is, is this person a convenience to me? It, it, is, is there really a gospel intentionality in this relationship? Because this is an opportunity to speak that. Or is this relationship mostly about me? Because if, if you have goodwill towards that other person, you genuinely love them and you see Christ's love for you, it should challenge you to speak with gospel intentionality with them. Pursue their holy good. That may mean having some hard conversations. Because many people wear false coverings that say, you know what, I'm, I'm not what I should be, and so I've got to cover myself with this. You know, with a posture in relationships towards other people. Presenting, you know, we call this two-faced. Presenting themselves one way and this way, and one way and this way. And all of a sudden, in, in your relationship with that person, you see, well, then, oh my gosh, this is actually happening. I didn't think this was true. But what do I do? Have a genuine conversation with this person. Say, look, I love you. I want what's best for you. I want you to thrive. And I know 
I know you trust me. Can we talk about something? I see this in you and it burdens me. Do you see it in yourself? You see, you don't have to hide in shame. Whatever you're hiding, you don't have to. Because in Christ, you have a covering that's better than trying to play this game with other people. So expose deeds of darkness with light. I encourage you to be tenderly confrontational with people. That means posturing yourself differently with them. Not beating them over the head with a Bible, but coming alongside them. Sharing maybe your story, your own struggle. Pointing them to the cross. Be tenderly confrontational with them. And don't just leave them don't just leave them with, with the confrontation, but point them to the solution. Seek the solution yourself. Because if, if you don't know how to take the salve of the gospel upon yourself, how are you going to know how to apply it to someone else? Thirdly, know your Bible really well. Whether that's memorizing scripture, whether that's just reading from cover to cover, year, year, year. Read it. Know it. Because it's the foundation of your armor. Because in the thick of relationships, when sin comes out, that's when that armor is needed. It's when the sword needs to be sharp. It's when the shield of faith needs to be put up. It's when the, you don the helmet. You're not going to put on the shoes of the gospel and walk into that relationship with somebody and, and speak unguarded. That The guarding happens by clothing yourself in the gospel in the truths of Scripture because that's what's going to ground you in that conversation. Fourth, pray that their eyes would be open because God's not surprised by their sin but the gospel is the means through which they'll come to repentance and faith. Whether you're talking with a, uh, another brother or sister in Christ who you see is straying and you're seeing sin in their life and you're tenderly confrontational with them, pointing them back to Jesus. Well, that's a person who's just, who's very much lost and is opposed to the gospel, and yet you love them, and God has placed them in your sphere of influence. Say, I'm here, God, and this person's here, and it's uncomfortable, but I see your love for me, and it compels me to have love for them. So give me words to speak, and Father, open their eyes. Open their eyes that they would see Jesus and rest that you're being part of that process. That you're simply a conduit for gospel truths to hearts that are lost. And lastly, be willing to risk a lot that souls might be restored to God. I know something Alan said earlier about an inconvenience just landed on me. It just in regard to a lot of things. And a lot of times we look out with um, co-workers or people who are difficult. And I think if we're honest, we're like, well, that person's just an inconvenience to me. You know, and we just don't share a lot in common. or You know, it's, it's too much of an effort. And so somebody else can deal with that person. I'm going to go to somebody who's easier. And yet this person continues to kind of just be in our life. You know. Sometimes because they have to be, because they're attached to our hip through work. Or sometimes it's just God's sovereignty that this person continues to just be here. 
That's not by surprise. That's, not, that's, that's, a, that's a divine appointment. And Christ says, love this person as I have loved you. As I have loved you and seen your sin and seen your own wickedness. You love this person when you see their sin. Love them in the same way. Be willing to risk a lot that a soul might be restored to God because that's what's at stake. I'll close with a word from James. James 5, 19 through 20. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you. Thank you and I praise you because as I look at this this text and stand before this gate and it's ominous because it says that Jesus sees every part of me, even the part that I don't see myself, even the part that I, I hide from others, the thoughts that go through my mind late at night, the thoughts that go through my mind in the course of a work week when things are frustrating and it's not going my way, Thoughts that go through my mind when, when somebody says something that surprises me and I thought I'd never come out of that person's mouth. All right, put, tuck that away. Guard myself because this person's not trustworthy, which means in my mind distancing myself from, from him or from her. Father, you see those things and you say, I know the depths of your heart and I love you still. I love you enough to send my son to live the life that you could not live. To pay the penalty you could never in a thousand lifetimes pay. And what's more, I'll give you my spirit. That you might be restored to me. That you might be made new. Now walk in newness of life. So Father, I pray that you would do this in us, that we would marvel at the, uh, the love of Christ in His omniscience for us, His compassion for us, His mercy upon us, His grace. And that, Father, it would compel us to love others in the same way. It's hard, Father. But, Lord, You set, you set a high bar for us and You give us Your Spirit that we might engage in this type of love with others so that at the end of the day we wouldn't receive the glory, but that you would. Father, would you do this work in us? It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.